right, here we go, Steve. Hey, this is like a stare down. <laughs> no, no doubt, right? Yeah, see if we can do this out blinking. Hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in today. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, the podcast where we invite you to text in your questions um, on God, life, Christianity, the Bible, you name it, comparative religion, spirituality, the way it intersects with life. Because our experience has been a lot of people have questions about God. A lot of people don't know where to ask them. There's a lot of confusion out there um, about what Christianity teaches. People really don't know how to process it. And uh, hey, big shout out to Andrew coming in the studio today. All right. That was going to be, for Andrew. Was gonna be the, the number one question that I had is, where's Andrew? Where's Andrew? Right. Where's all the beauty in this Traffic. Tra- traffic. The was beauty and sunshine has arrived. Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Not planning well. He was following a combine. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, here's how it works. We have got a huge inbox of questions that you've been texting in, but you can text in any question you have 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Give that to you one more time. That's 815-314-0363. Any question you have about God, about Christianity, about the Bible, or anything I've mentioned already, the big ones, the little ones, the confusing ones, the complex ones, the heretical ones, the crazy ones, the ones you're embarrassed or afraid to ask, Please, that's what this is about. God wants you to be asking the questions because when we ask the questions, we can actually start processing them in our own life with him. We're also broadcasting here live today on 216 The Net. Big shout out to Kent today. Thank you, Kent. You're welcome, guys. Welcome. You look and, good uh, today. You do look good today. Yeah. It must have <clears throat> it must have been the uh, the time jump forward that threw Andrew off. Uh, but well, Senate took care of that. So Senate did probably, take care yeah, of that. For 2023, <laughs> though, right? Every Everything going on in the world, and that was the most important our elected right. officials yeah. could do. Yeah. All right, so catch me up to speed <laughs> They're busy, here. Catch me up to speed here. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I'm in the dark. What's going on? Daylight savings time. You're doing away with it. It's permanent. Permanent. It, a permanent deletion. But not deletion. until 2023, I don't think. This is the last year of daylight savings time. So why why the decision on this? Because we've been doing this for. I think they knew that Jesus was coming. Okay, so we better get the clocks right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we didn't want confusion there. Is it well? Is he here yet or not here? Yet? Now let me let me ask by clarification because of course we're broadcasting here out of Illinois. Is this the Illinois legislature? No, this is this is, this is, this is the U.S. of A. The U.S. Senate. Yep. Now it has to be signed off on, right? Yep. Correct. So he, it isn't in law well, yet. But he. But I think they're they're going to keep it on the current time. What we're on currently. So we're going to permanently shift to the wrong time is what you're telling me. I think. Yeah. If we can kind of call it that. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. With our well, current all right. state of leadership, does right. any of this surprise you? No. <laughs> you know, some little known facts, but uh, there have been times when like two weeks of the calendar have been wiped out too. Mm-hmm. I think if you go to like 1571, for example, mm-hmm. I think it happened again in the late 1700s where – you just kind of had to catch up with some of this yeah. leap year nonsense, yeah. you, you know, that doesn't quite. Yeah, none of that makes any sense. It? Chris is no. filling us in on Facebook. It's a permanent daylight savings time. The that house even still makes needs sense, to Chris. It. Okay. Chris, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get your news from? <laughs> Not here. We don't do the 21 6 in it. We'll see where we go. Fake news. Fake news from Chris. <laughs> Hey, if you do have questions that you'd like to follow, uh, if you're following us on Facebook right now and you want to post them there, just please post them in the comments. Whether you're following us through Fellowship of Faith, you can check into us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Just click on our Facebook page. Or if you're at 216 The Net, you could do it right here as well. So, uh, so this is, Chris is actually, she's a, a teacher. She's, she's, this is her last year of teaching. I did not know that Chris yes. was retiring yeah. this year. And I think it's like, she can correct me and I'm sure she will. She does a lot, especially with my grammar. Because mm-hmm. um, she is an English teacher. Correct. And and even more than that, she's a middle school English teacher, which yes. I, I don't know how anyone survives Wait, that she, job. She'd be teaching now? Well, that's Today's just Wednesday, it. right? She doesn't care anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> she's got like 40 days left and she's out. <laughs> that's awesome. The parachute so if has you're popped. in your, her class, see what you can get away with. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty pretty sure, knowing Chris, they can probably get away with pretty much anything they want anyway. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, you would say that, but but she's got like this weird like iron fist quality well, about her. Correct. You know, I, I don't know, man. I'd call you does on she, that. I, I'd you be get afraid. away with stuff? I don't think she does. Well, yeah. Well, well. I mean, she's not going to scream. She's not going to lose her temper. She's not going to like get into this arbitrary punishment, but she just kind of has this like gravitas that. So yeah, she'll put change. you in her place with just a, a quick little quick little glance yeah a, a, a comment said Comments, as yeah. calmly as can be mm-hmm. yeah 
We're free to you, Chris, if, you, if you're not picking up on this, all right? <laughs> We're going to change the title of this to questions oh. about Chris. You never thought yeah. you could have. Questions about Chris. She, you never said thought it's lunch. she says it's lunchtime. That's why she's on here. Ah, perfect. Perfect. Gene, Gene's watching from Scottsdale. What are you doing in Scottsdale, Gene? Why wouldn't you be in Scottsdale? Well, I know, but I just, okay. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the weather. <laughs> so I have to say that uh, our listeners are getting more and more lengthy and in-depth of their questions. We're getting like email length questions, right? Yeah, which I, I like, but sometimes there's like six questions in one question. So you're like, <laughs> how do we get to all of these? We got to unpack. All right. <laughs> uh, so here's this first one. It, it's in reference to this last Sunday sermon. So if you didn't listen to that, okay, add Fellowship this, of Faith. Check yeah. it out. Go back to Fellowship of Faith sermon. Um, so this last Sunday, your sermon about the story of the prodigal son has me stuck on something. Mm. While I don't think it's right for the older brother to be jealous, does the fact that he was loyal to his father and worked hard have any value? Or have I been misunderstanding the story the whole time and really the older brother was just chomping at the bit waiting for his inheritance and only had more patience than the younger brother? Gotcha. So so let's uh let's just kind of recap the story here really quick for those who aren't familiar with it. I, you know, it's it's kind of like I think the term prodigal son, whether you're a Christian or not, has really entered into kind of like mainstream vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But let's just not assume that people even know the story or where it's coming from. Well, first, can what does the word mean, prodigal? Yeah, what does the word even mean, prodigal? Can, do you like use that word like all at the time? All, let's ask regularly? Chris. <laughs> Chris. Hey, yeah, Chris, we want you as the English teacher. What is your definition of prodigal? We'll wait. <laughs> uh yeah, kind of like, you know, let, let me throw it right back at you. When you kind of think of a term, because we kind of talk with this, how would you define it? Like, what, what would be your go-to? I, mean, I, I always think of it in the biblical story context, so yeah. like kind of that definition. But it seems like someone who's like wayward from or estranged from either people in their lives, family, friends, whatever it is, but it's of their choosing. So they're kind of creating that distance and then yeah, uh, coming back. <laughs> yeah. Steve, you're rolling with that. Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> Very enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think of, of the meaning. I think of what it represents. Yeah. So you're not even defining the term not, so much. You I'm just not, know the concept. Right. But that's because I know the story, you know? So for those that don't know the story, when they hear the word prodigal, I don't even know what that means. So like, Specific definition, Andrew. Well, I said Webster oh. is Webster Dictionary saying spending money or resources freely and recklessly, oh. wastefully extravagant. But it doesn't even seem to capture no, it, it completely. No. That's like and, a specific way to that. Happens. And I think this is one of these interesting words where it's defined more by the story mm -hmm. than what the choice of word in English translations originally meant or has come to mean today. I mean, the word has been appropriated. Yeah. I think um, a better one, a more generic is one who has returned after an absence. But I think you have to kind of get the sense of that absence in there. That's like, you know, this context. isn't a guy coming back from military service or something right. like that. I mean, right. it's, mm -hmm. it's someone who's strong willed, rebellious, someone who is defiant, someone who, you, you know, was intentionally thumbing their nose at a family, a father figure in this case, whoever it might be. Right? Okay, so so rather than putting it on like, well, that's the story of the prodigal. Who isn't the prodigal son? <laughs> I think that's why we love this story, right? It? Because it's so relatable, and everybody, I, you, you know. Though I, I'd say the pushback to it is, I've I've met a lot of people who aren't the prodigal son. I've met a lot of people. So if you, so is Chris. You know, of course, that are brown noses. Oh, right. You know, <laughs> she that are uh, she is that. She's brown noser. No, but in her class, you know what I mean? Right. No, you, I'm you, talking about you know, with me. Like, she's always trying to, like, uh, do things for me so that she can play more often. <laughs> and I'll schedule her. I'll schedule her more than once every week or mo month. And, so. and especially at Christmas. Right. At Christmas, for sure. <laughs> especially at Christmas. Hey, I got you a gift. No, Chris, you can't play. <laughs> Chris and I are the two people left in the church that like Christmas music, you know? Uh, <laughs> By the way, for those of you who don't know, uh, Steve is our worship director, and uh, Steve actually, I think, I, I think the proper term is loads Christmas, Christmas music. Yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Christmas could just like disappear, you got a lot of enemies in the church world that way. I, think. I do. Like if that gets out, but that's fun. Yeah, you enjoy it because you know we don't have enough people in the church that judge you for what you do. <laughs> so, let's add another one. Let's add another one. <laughs> you don't. You don't prodigal Christmas music, <laughs> right? Yes, you're the non-prodigal Christmas right. music guy. Just take the happiest time of year and just you know dump it for everyone. Dump it all, yeah. 
Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Why don't yeah, you just focus we appreciate on your that. gifts that you get? <laughs> it's more about presents than right. Jesus. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Anywho. All right. Let me rein this in. Luke chapter 15, out of the Gospels. Jesus tells a trilogy of stories, three back to back, and you should read them all in context. The first one is a story about um, lost sheep. The second is lost coin. The third is this prodigal son. So it's all revolving around this idea of someone or something being lost. But the opening to these parables is important for understanding, I think, the question here about the prodigal son. Because Jesus is teaching in the context, and it says, sinners and tax collectors are gathering around Jesus. But there are religious people, specifically the religious elite, Pharisees, teachers of the law, who are looking at this, they're witnessing this, and they're kind of standing there with this like judgment, looking down on the whole thing, not just on the people, but on Jesus in particular for associating with the wrong kind of people. And they mutter to themselves, as Luke 15 will put it, that look at this man who eats with tax collectors and sisters so, and, and, and sinners. So it's a, uh, it's a judgment on them all. And that's important to know because that is the final point of the parable, parable of the prodigal son. The story is basically about two brothers, and uh, one tells his dad more or less to drop dead, give me your inheritance now, takes it and squanders it in wild living. So, you, you know, it doesn't really define what that wild living is. You know, I just imagine he's probably going to like, you know, wet and wild water slides and stuff mm, like that. And, uh, you know, you know, Hurricane spending way Harbor. too much at the snack bar, right? Yeah. But, well, uh, funnel you know, cakes. You, you, you funnel cakes, they you know. Trio just... <laughs> and just bought the place out. Yeah. Trio, if you want to sponsor us, just let us know. Hurry up already. <laughs> Let's get that contract. But, you know, you, 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 you kind of figure out what that wild living probably would look like or mean. Yeah. Guy hits rock bottom. He's starving. He's uh, his life is a wreck. And he kind of has this uh, <laughs> come to Jesus moment where he's like, you know, what did I do? You know, my father's servants eat better than I am eating right now. What if I go back? And uh, whether it's sincere or not is debated. Um, maybe he's broken over it and, and uh, just misses dad. But, but I kind of get the sense more that he's trying to figure out how to get dad to give him more of what he wants, which is a, a, a safe livelihood of sorts. So he's going to go back to his dad and he's going to come there and say the right things and do the right things and be apologetic. And again, you could debate in your mind in the story, whether he's sincere or not, but that really isn't the point of the story. So when we're getting hung up on those kinds of questions, we're already missing what Jesus is trying to do because more time is spent on the discussion with the older brother after this younger brother comes back. Because, of course, the prodigal son returns. The dad's looking for him far off, runs to greet him, puts his arms around him, welcomes him back as a son, uh, throws a feast in his honor. And it's the older brother who is all ticked off by this. And the older brother is coming back at dad going, you know, I, when have I ever done something like this to you? I've always done what you've told me. And have you ever even given me the smallest of feasts? And the dad comes back to the older brother going, look, you, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. But your younger brother who is lost is now found. He who was a dead is alive again. The story is an indictment on the older brother or back to what I said in the beginning on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's an indictment on religious people who hold their noses a little bit too high over sinful people whom God welcomes freely in his grace with the same honors as the religious people. So it's really kind of a strong indictment by Jesus upon people who go to church and spend their lives in church and revolve their lives around church and doing the things of God over those who often get judged in church contexts. So all that kind of context here, um, I don't think it's right for the older brother to be jealous. You're right. Does the fact that he was loyal to his father and work hard have any value? Of course it has value. He was honoring his dad in that. Now, we can't speak to his motives, but of course it has value. Um, but have I been misunderstanding the story the whole time? And really the older brother was just chomping at the bit waiting for his inheritance? I don't know if I'd look at it that way. I don't think that's really the point of the story. I don't think he's drawing out some idea that the older brother is trying to look to how to get away with stuff like the younger brother. The older brother is just simply resentful, jealous, or thinks that he has a better in with dad because of how he's lived. Which makes sense. I think that's how all of us think, either with parents or you know bosses or whatever. Like 
I've been doing my work this whole time. And you got this guy who, you know, skipped work a bunch and now they're back and we're throwing a party. Like, no, I'm do. I was, you know, pulling his weight the whole time. Like, and in most sense. contexts, it does make sense. And yeah. in most contexts, it's even true. Like, like what employer in their right mind is going to do this way, but that's what makes God's grace so radical and scandalous. It is completely opposite the expectations that we have from the rest of life. It's totally my brother and I. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Which one are you? Which are, brother? Are you? Now, now, are you actually older than your other brother? No, he's older than me. So he's older than uh, you. And he's the, he's a good boy. Yeah. He, it's all law for him. Okay. So, because this is, this is to me just the, a very clear picture of God painting or God painting for us law and gospel. Yeah. That's, that's, so what, no wonder that's you're, what the you're, like, you're into Christ. I yeah. mean, yeah, totally. And that's why, you know, like, Go ahead and continue like trying to earn that, you know, and doing the right things all the time because you think that's, you know, what you should be doing. But then that doesn't really leave much room for grace and mercy. And uh, that uh, I, no, I won't go there. I was going to give another example, but I don't need to. So it's law and gospel. That's the story. The prodigal son. <laughs> Drop the mic, Steve. That's it. <laughs> Moving Lord, on. Dave, Dave said it in 20,000 words. I wrapped it up in five. <laughs> <laughs> what's our what's our one word Next. summary of the sermon this last week? Uh, going back to Christmas music real quick. Scott, which Scott is a, a good brother in Christ that we have. Phenomenal guitar player, bass player, musician, really, in general. But he says Christmas music is the best. And I just want to say, why have I got the seasonal job for you? <laughs> hit me up i'll i'll get you there you've got about about one month a year where we would yep. love you yep. you don't have to worry about going to Coles to earn some extra money i got something for you steve's got the gig locked up <laughs> yeah and i think that's one of the things that i'm excited about about of where we are in the book of, where we are in the book of galatians now because it seems like up until this point you know chapter one through four we've been kind of Paul's been beating it into their heads of like, you're, you're not under this anymore and stop it. <laughs> but then my question, I think a lot of people's questions at our church has always been like, okay, but then what? Then now we're finally starting to get into the, then what part mm -hmm. of this? Cause it's like, okay, we got to break this down first to then kind of, you know, rebuild it and reshape the viewpoint of that. A lot of Christians have. This has definitely been one of my most favorite sermon series, the Galatians piece. I, mm -hmm. I like, I have really, really enjoyed it. And you've done such a great job with it. So kudos to you. No, thank, thanks for that. And uh, I've enjoyed doing it as well. But I want to ask you, I mean, what is it about it? I mean, I think you've already alluded to it, but it's, it's worth asking you like, you know, straight up. Mm -hmm. What is it about it that's impacting you so much? Um, just, I think the, a lot of times we, we do get so focused on works and proving, you know, uh, well, so you say you're a Christian. So, you know, live, you live by that, trying to show people so much about what it is that it, that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so it does become about, well, the things that I have to do. And this is a refocus on Paul. I love, you know, if I love, I can just imagine saying, look, you little idiot, this is not how it is quit being so freaking about you and look to Christ as far as how, the change that he has made in you that makes you want to live differently, mm -hmm. not because you're a slave to the law, but because of what he's done. Mm -hmm. And so that it, there's a, a sense of freedom in that. In that yeah. yeah. Well, I think it can easily become a, a perception thing where people put on their, their church face or their, you know, their church behavior and it, that limits you from having an authentic relationship with people because you're like, oh, well, I got to act like I have, I have everything together and I know all the rules and I'm following everything. My life is perfect. And you're, you're limiting people's ability to, to love you and show you God's grace and show you God's love. And that's kind of, it feels like what, at least how I grew up in the church, like that was kind of the, the gist of what you're supposed to do is like, Oh, well, you have everything together and now you come to church. It's like, right. it's not, yeah. that's kind of the opposite yeah. of how it should be. It, correct. And I love, and I don't know that we got into this so much during this, but I, I do know like when God really got a hold of Paul and Paul's just on fire mm -hmm. and he's thinking, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to let everybody know about who God is and who Jesus is and, and, and whatnot. 
then what did he do? He, he basically put them in prison. You know, he's like, oh, you're not going to go do these things that you think you're going to go out there and just, well, here's who he is and whatnot. I'm going to put you in prison and make you write letters. You know, like <laughs> who would get into ministry and think, well, you know, God's going to use me for something because this is my talent. This is my gift. Well, hold on a second. No, I'm not going to use I'm not going to use those gifts that I've given you. I'm actually going to put you in a jail cell and make you write letters to people. Mm-hmm. That's pretty phenomenal mm-hmm. to me, you know, because his attitude through all of that was like, okay, you know what? If that's where you want me, that's where I'll go, you know. So it had to be incredibly frustrating for Paul during this time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was very obedient during that time. And I think about think about being in in that cell or in prison or wherever and thinking two some 2000 years later here we are talking about it you know like i can't wait to get to, to when we finally pass jesus comes and we get to spend all eternity i can't wait to just sit down and have conversations with paul yeah it's going to be yeah. it's going to be so interesting and you'll be like okay so tell me something about this when you said this <laughs> yeah yeah what were you thinking yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway it leads you to think about life legacy, though, because, you know, if Paul spent the most of his time preaching and we know very little of what he publicly taught about or preached about mm-hmm. or, or or you know, it was these letters out of prison, like you said, that have stood the test of time. And I kind of think about that for us, too. Right. You know, we devote 95 percent of our lives into things that we think are going to matter. But what is going to be that lasting bit that God chooses to use, use. that's yeah. going to impact people that might even happen serendipitously right. or or as the result of crisis or whatever it might be. And it's probably something that we're not even thinking about. Right. You know, right. Our focus is so on, well, look at, look at, th- look at this good work. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to use that. Yeah. So is, is the summary of this, like the best things happen in prison? Is that? <laughs> yes. As so, I, you know, I have co- the best teaching, the best learning. You guys both know that I did prison ministry for a while. The best thing that has come out of that for me is learning to make prison nachos. i mean you you'll get your fix of sodium of course but (laughs) delicious so maybe we should have give us the recipe is this different from from like regular nachos totally it's because you don't have the same ingredients okay so it's a matter of whatever what other uh chips that you can get whether it's a bag of doritos it's it's uh maybe some some beans that are out of a vending machine Mm -hmm. because a lot of their ingredients are coming out of a vending machine so it's really a hodgepodge of kind of whatever the vending machine gives you and then some cheese some packets of like it it sounds disgusting (laughs) but it really (laughs) is good yes if you combine enough disgusting unnutritious ingredients yeah you get something delicious (laughs) i i I will talk to ocean so ocean is is one of the guys that uh that he was in solitary Mm -hmm. and so i'll ask him to write up the actual recipe for this and then we'll put it and we'll publish it all right put it on our page fantastic prison nachos prison nachos paul's prison nachos (laughs) 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 that's in one of those extra letters that we just didn't yeah if you make these and eat these god will bless you it's like that you know the whole uh the spiritual water that people, you know, sell on TV and whatnot. So this will be our, this will be FOF shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Our yeah. holy water. Right <laughs> prison nachos. Slash Paul's, Paul's prison, prison nachos. nachos. <laughs> That's great. Um, let's jump into another question here. Uh, change of pace. Does it, does it bother any of you, any of you when God is referred to as her or she, what about the spirit? Do let's see, you know, people because, you know, because people always refer to God as him or he. Oh, so kind of like bother saying, you with the if, like if because you know reversal. it always. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it. I wouldn't use the term bother me. Uh, uh, I, I'm curious to see what you guys say too, but it certainly always um, jars me mm-hmm. a little bit, and it's not because I think God is a male. I certainly believe Jesus is male, but it's not because I think God is male or female. It's because it seems that the use of the language her and she is done more to make some kind of peripheral point than it is to actually talk about God. So I think that's why it always catches me by, yeah, uh, not surprise, but kind of just knocks me a little bit. Yeah, I would say there's uh, 90s in the 90s. Uh, there was I can't remember what the band's name is. It was either the Verve Pipe, if you remember. So I'm taking it back. Or fuel, remember those two bands? Mm-hmm. And in one of their songs, they were like, "In what God, in what she thinks," and it's like, 
okay, is this just an attention getter? You know, yeah, right, right. Tell me, to, yeah, who who was that? I don't know. Tell I'm, me all your thoughts on God because I'd really like to meet her or yeah, something, something like that. Like that. It wasn't right. Lannis Morris that? No, was it? No, no, no. But it's in that genre. Yeah, Tell right, me right. All your thoughts on God. Yeah. I'll find it. It was probably on a Friends episode or something. Steve's doing research. Anyway, so finish your thought. Yeah, the point to it was is that I I think it was just, um, I don't know that he really has a, I think it was a challenge maybe, and and maybe not one that was, um, well, do you really think God's a a woman? You know, I think it was more of a, it seemed as more of a stab like he was trying to get at people with that and mm-hmm. not that, okay, well have your own view, whatever you want to do, but shock value in a lyric writing, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah. And it's Dishwalla. Dishwalla. Yeah. Dishwalla. That's who it was. Blue well, cars. I was yeah. All right. Counting blue Counting cars. Blue cars. Yeah. Must have been late afternoon. No. And thinking back to like, you know, of course that nineties genre and, and in the way that I even see it written about in theology today, it seems less to do with any kind of concept about God as it does, like you said, to be either a jab or a corrective to put best constructive right, on it right. towards what's being perceived as, as, as patriarchal or male dominated right. Christianity. And of course, to step back from this, the tradition of calling God he uh, is twofold. One, it stems from the fact that Jesus refers to him that way. Um, Father, for example, is the predominant way, but also with he language. And that's how much of the Old Testament referred to Jesus as well. Again, not in any way indicating a maleness of God. You go back to Genesis 1. It says that God created humans in his image, male and female. He created them. So both are reflections of the nature of God, but more because of the position of male in society uh, through much of human history. The male pronoun is a leader. The male pronoun is a king. The male pronoun is the protector. The male pronoun is the provider. Culturally fit. Um, of course, the Old Testament does use, even Jesus does as well, uses female um, metaphors for God. You know, some of my favorite are like the mother hen one, you know, gathering the chicks under the wings. And, um, you know, Isaiah and, and others will talk about God as a nursing mother holding Israel up to her breast, you know, kind of describing the intimacy. But but across the board, male and female, these are metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, if you kind of keep rooted that way, I think we're good. I know there was a follow-up question here. What about the spirit? You know, the question doesn't explicate this, but I will. And I think what the person is is trying to pick up on maybe here is um, the idea that in grammar, in Greek and Hebrew, for example, um, they use gender in a way that we don't. So anyone that's taken another foreign language is kind of familiar with this. Like think German, think French, whatever it is. You have, you know, masculine and feminine nouns, right? And they have nothing to do with the idea that the word has some kind of like biological sex attached to it. It's just a way of dividing language into categories um, the way we look at living species today and divide them into categories. But um, in Hebrew, for example, the word for spirit is a feminine noun. So some people have tried to kind of jump on that going, well, does that mean the spirit has more feminine qualities? No, it's just a misunderstanding of language. Not at all. Because in Greek, when it talks about spirit, it uses neuter, which would be equally ridiculous to say that uh, that, that means God's asexual or something. like. I, it's just you're trying to draw wrong conclusions um, out of the language that way. But uh, there have been some that have tried to kind of play this idea out that, well, God's the father, the spirit's the mother, Jesus is the child, you know, things like that. I don't know. You're, you're getting kind of far afield of, I think what the biblical text is trying to do and what Christian theology has been about. It's, it's trying to make it say something we want it to say rather than the intent of what it's saying itself. So. Yeah. And I think one, you know, a modern example of that kind of like the song from the nineties is I forget, I think it was in the, the house of representatives where they ended some prayer in the house session uh, like yeah. amen and amen. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah right and that's just like incorrect on all levels yeah. Like, yeah the the men part of that word is not talking about Gender. men it's just how the word is spelled right? and, and i don't suspect that the person is talking to god anymore at that point now no. i don't know if that's how you're talking to god personally uh, okay i'm not going to get in the way of that but but in a public kind of setting like that 
we're making a statement through our prayer, which I, I think devalues what prayer is supposed to be. It's not meant to be a, a, a public, a, a political ideology, yeah. uh, um, or or a political statement being made. It, it really kind of bastardizes the prayer, yeah. To begin with, mm-hmm. um, sadly, mm-hmm. just talk to God. Yeah, maybe. yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, you know, maybe by analogy too, is like if I was to refer to Jesus as Isa. Um, that's how you would say Jesus name in Arabic, yeah, sure. um, you, you know, or if you were Muslim or if I was to refer to God as Allah, um, because Allah is just how you say God in Arabic. It is a perfectly acceptable way to refer to God. And yet if I was as an English speaker to refer to God as Allah, the only reason I would probably do it is because I'm either trying to make some kind of point or I'm trying to <clears throat> jar or correct in some kind of way. <laughs> Maybe that has a place. I'm not denying that it doesn't ever have a place, but understanding the purpose behind it, you know, it's important. Yeah. yeah. The Native Americans will say Mother Earth, but grandfather, when they're talking about God, they'll refer to God mm, as grandfather. So it's very, very interesting. interesting. And I think maybe in 1987, Aerosmith said it best, dude looks like a lady. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're staying in the music genre. Can you <clears throat> could you sing that for us? Because I'm having a hard time <laughs> hearing that melody. Yeah, no, that's the last thing anyone wants to hear. <laughs> dude looks like a lady. Yeah. <laughs> well, work on it. Work on it for next week. How about that? Yeah. Work on it. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, Ken, why don't you give a station break here? You got it. Thanks for tuning in. 216 net. This is questions. You never thought you could ask in church with the group of fellas from fellowship of faith. Uh, and you can like follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel for fellowship of faith and get alerted anytime that they go live, either here in studio or on Sunday mornings or Wednesdays or whenever they go live, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. You can text in all your questions to eight one five three one four zero three six three any time of the day, 24 hours a day. If you're out traveling uh, and something hits you funny, uh, pull over, text in a quick question. Uh, if you're just uh, out uh, maybe in the middle of nowhere on a mountaintop uh, wondering about things, go ahead and text us a question. Um, we'll answer them the best we can. If you're listening out on social media right now, Facebook, Facebook Live, YouTube, go ahead and put it in the comment section. We'll get to that as well. And... Um, Every every Wednesday, twelve thirty Central Daylight Savings Time. Uh, this year, <laughs> this, this year, year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, uh, every Wednesday live, and every Sunday morning catch the worship hour too uh, at ten a.m. So, speaking of in studio, you never know what you're going to see when you come into this yep. studio. There's always something new, and so I'm sitting here facing a sign that says uh, Chicago Lance number one coffee. That's right. And it totally reminds me of Elf. That's right. When it's like world's best best cup of coffee. Congratulations. You did it. You know, it's like, it's so great. So I'm just wondering, like, could we just stake the claim that 21 six, the net is the best radio station streaming platform period, period, period. Or FOF is the best church out there. Yeah. Oh, we should get signs, right? Well, you're the, you're the best pastor. Put, you're the best worship. We just director, line it up, director. We yeah. just keep lining up. Home of people the... joining us on Facebook. I mean, Chris is the best middle school English teacher. We're just going to keep rolling, right? Everybody's the yeah, best. Well, I think for the forty more days. Beholder, right? I think, yeah, I think what we need to do is have a vote, so then we can say it was voted on. Sure, before yeah. us can vote after. So we just yeah. voted. Yeah. <laughs> Nice job, everyone. Congrats. High fives all around. (laughs) I think that the driveway at FOF can just have these signs. Voted best pastor. Like the the Burma shave. (laughs) Right. Best church. It was a unanimous vote. Truest to the to the gospel church ever. That's right. Everyone who was polled agreed. Unanimously. Unanimous. (laughs) Hands down. We need to do that. Hey, let me give a a quick shout out here to the next couple of weeks coming up on the show. So next Wednesday, we have got and Dr. Andrew Das, who is joining us here. This is news to me. I don't even know about this. I know, right? Wow, that's because that's because so you're cutting like, edge that I don't even know what's happening. Right, exactly. Or because you don't like read the write-up for the oh, last twenty five weeks yeah. that's been there either. <laughs> that's very true. I don't do that <laughs> either. Not have a laptop in front of me. Yeah. Well, because you know, we if I if I do that, then then I'm gonna have preconceived ideas. And so I like to come in fresh. You got to be fresh, I gotta, spontaneous. I like to come in, right? Just right off the beaten path. Hey, what's <laughs> happening, guys? 
You need yeah. to come in a little bit later then because that's more fun Ooh, that way. Yes. Melinda has a great uh, best voted best, best coffee, coffee. Uh, out of all down. churches. Hands down. Or best coffee, period. Sinfully delightful. Sinfully. Uh, my favorite is the maple uh, blueberry. Yeah, yeah, you say that like every third week, man. So You're like hung up on this blueberry, blueberry maple, you know? You know, when I leave church, I feel like uh, Violet from Willy Wonka. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just bursting with blueberries. You even the smell of it pumping yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, little my skin's change. turning a little purple. Yeah, <laughs> how do you counteract that? Oh, you've been at church again. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So right. this back person, the schedule. are we back? Are we back? <laughs> Who's this person we're having on on the on the show? His name's Andrew Das D A S, and what? he's a premier Pauline scholar. He's written a big honking commentary on Galatians. Pauline um, scholar. Yeah. What is Pauline? Paul. Paulian. No, no one says Paulian. Napoleon. No one That's says. What no. I would say. Yeah. Well, well you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pauline. Pauline. Okay. But how do you spell it? P a u l i n e. That's Paulian. No. Come on, Pauline. Yeah. No, man, that's ridiculous. Like Christian. No, that's I a n. It's Christian is I A N. Please say thing. It's just letters. Which yeah. letters mean? It's whatever you say. Whatever you decide. <laughs> Work on the theme music for that. But he's coming in. Come on, Pauline. He's coming in. He's coming in and talking all things Paul in the New Testament. He's talking Galatians. I mean, he wrote you know a commentary on it and, and other things as well. He's doing a lot of research actually right now into divorce and remarriage mm-hmm. um, in, in the early church, actually, which tends to be a contentious topic even through. Today, people struggle with this all the time. I talk to people all the time who are just kind of wrestling, going, uh, I know there might not be a biblical mandate here, uh, or thus saith the Lord, but but like, how do I wrestle through a relationship that's gone toxic? Am I free to divorce? Am I free to remarry? And, and so it's uh, a lot of cutting edge research um, in biblical studies. So where's he coming from? He teaches at Elmhurst University, actually. So he's not too far from where we're at right now, maybe about an hour southeast of here. So he'll be in studio? And he will be in studio. Awesome. Two weeks from today, we have got Jeff Dunn-Rankin joining us with Ministry Architects. Ministry Architects is a church consulting firm, and we're going to bring Jeff on because he talks to literally thousands of churches of every stripe and variety nationwide about the state of the church. What's his take on what's going on in the church, in church culture, the future of the church, the struggles of the church, the needs of the church, you name it. So it should be pretty good. We could pepper him with questions on all things church. Two weeks from today. So you guys have like been busy like getting guests. So uh, yeah, I've been very involved. Yeah, <laughs> Make, making those phone calls, haven't you, Andrew? We're really pounding those phones. We're, we're yeah. gonna dial. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now I, I think I feel like I've got to step up my game. You do. And so you do. We bring it. I'm gonna we drive. Ocean. I'm gonna drive down to to Elgin. Okay. I'm gonna get Tito. Is okay. His name. Tito. Yeah. I was watching Family Feud last night. And, and there was a family from Chicago. Can I ask, were you watching like Family Feud from like 1982? No, there was a, no like, Steve Harvey, Family okay, Feud. Okay, okay, we got a good one here today, fellas. You know, whatever he says. Anyway, um, yeah, just happened to know that Tito was a, a barber, owns a, a barbershop in Elgin. So if you're in Elgin, you need a you need a quick shave or whatever. <laughs> Go see Tito. It's not an ad, not sponsored. But. He doesn't know me yet, <laughs> but he will. But he's listening. But he, well, probably he isn't, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he should, he should, he should be. See if he can get us an in with So Kent and I are, since you, we got fantastic haircuts, yeah. he's going to go down there and see what Tito can do. A little off us. the top. Yeah. Sure. You know, just uh, trim it up and fade it in a little That'll bit. That'll be my contribution <laughs> to the show. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got three weeks to figure That's out. That's fine. we got the next two weeks. We'll next two. Drive down yeah. there on Sunday morning. <laughs> just let uh let scott take over yep. the music scott, come on in. Christmas, christmas music for easter but christmas in july march whatever <laughs> uh let's jump into another question here uh what makes the bible true and other religious texts like the quran or the book of mormon untrue um statement isn't even true um there's a false assumption here that if the bible's true other texts aren't true uh, that's never been the claim of christianity um, certainly the clear claim of Christianity is that the Bible is true. That's a claim Jesus makes himself, um, both looking backwards toward the Old Testament and looking forward with the apostolic witness. Um, but that does not disqualify there being truth out there. My, I, I could pull out any number of documents, texts, writings from the ancient past or today. They're going to have a lot of th- true things in it. 
The difference with the biblical text over, let's say, the Book of Mormon or the Quran is that it is viewed as authoritative. So it's not to say that I can't read the Quran or some apocryphal work or something else and find elements of truth in there. I mean, the Gospel of Thomas is not part of the canon of the Bible, and yet two-thirds of the Gospel of Thomas has tight similarity with what you're going to find in the actual gospel texts. Does that mean it's not true because it's in the gospel of Thomas? No, that would be ridiculous. Um, my son's in calculus right now. He can bring home his calculus textbook. I don't even know if they use textbooks anymore, but whatever he's using digitally. iPad. But you're getting the idea here. Does that mean it's not true because it's not in the Bible? I mean, that, 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 anyone would see that as being absurd off the bat. And certainly you can look through uh, the, the rest of other texts. But when it comes into points of conflict, when any truth claim comes into points of conflict with the Bible, the Christian position based on Jesus, of course, has been to say that we follow what the Bible says is true over and above what another truth claim might be. And we all kind of know this naturally. Uh, we, we just don't really talk or think in this way that often. I mean, if we were to say that our entire, uh, our entire grasp of truth was from the Bible alone, we wouldn't even be communicating in the English language right now. I mean, you know, we can break this down to so many points of absurdity. Um, it's, it's about what has authority over our lives when it comes to truth claims and what we're called to do. That's what sets the Bible apart for a Christian. Hmm. Which is kind of interesting, Ken, because Ken and I are in a uh, men's group together. And so right now we're going through a, a series on Right Now Media. If you don't have Right Now Media, especially as an FOF attendee, like you need to get it because it's pretty spectacular. But anyway, uh, we're in a, 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 a study called Culture Shock. Done in 2012. It's okay. Um, the presentation isn't great, mm -hmm. but I think it's what it has done is challenged us to think outside of, uh, well, to actually think. And so we deal with truth and that was our, that was the, the topic that was uh, this past week. And so morality and, you know, who's right, what, what makes things right and whatnot. You had a question though, from that. And I don't know if you remember it or not. And if you don't, don't worry about it and we can move on. <laughs> uh, about the, the guy with the, the bullhorn. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was it. I don't know. So, yeah. So what, what, what we were discussing is, um, you know, when you wake up from a hangover in college and you're walking across campus and there's somebody sitting there with a bullhorn saying you're going to be damned to hell and, you know, the world is, you know, done. And, um, you know, how how many times we go, man, that guy is crazy, right? He's the crazy one. Right. And to which, to which I then said, well, or is he? Because it got you to think about perhaps <laughs> mm -hmm. Christ and your own faith at that point, instead of going, I'm going to throw up in the nearest wastebasket. Mm. Right. So. Well, and you can simultaneously do both. You can. Okay. <laughs> I've been there. You can still be listening, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so are these, are these people, are these other books to your point? Is there, is there truth in them? And do, do we find truth other than just the Bible? You know, it's, it, how do you even say that? Because I mean, how many books have literally been written? Are, are there truth in them? I, I'm going to just assume at this point that anything ever written probably has at least a modicon of truth mm -hmm. in it. O of course, that's probably not even the case because there's a lot of things written out there that are bald-faced lies or, or filled with untruth. My point is that the Bible is not making a claim on what may or may not be in other sources of knowledge and literature. They're just out there. But what Christians do is they judge all truth claims against biblical truth sure. claims. Yep. And if they're harmonious, those truth claims that we find from other place are certainly free and, 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 and welcome to be explored, but we still don't give them authority because yeah. even those truth claims might change. For example, the field of science is filled with truth claims, and yet the truth claims of science by nature are always up to change as future discoveries are made, as, as, as things are rethought, as new models are put together. Um, and so what the Bible claims is to be a source of revelation from God by which we can compare truth claims in this world in light of it or against it, yeah. many of which will have nothing to do with it, but some at times will. And at that point, we can use the Bible as an authority 
to verify or sift what countervailing ideas of the world might be. And of course, we see this in hot topics like creation and evolution, where you seem to have a competing truth claim about the origins yep. um, from at least what has been considered the, the, the natural or better put historic reading of Genesis. You see it in fields like psychology of what really is the nature of the soul or the human condition. Are, are humans fundamentally good or evil? You know, so I mean, there, there's plenty of truth claims in the world that this touches on. But I, I think too many Christians have this knee-jerk reaction of saying something like, oh, well, if it's in the Quran, it must be bad or it must be false. No, historic Christianity has never claimed things like that. Yeah. You just compare what it might say against so what, biblical claims. What is ultimate truth? Well, the Christian answer to that is simply this. Uh, Steve likes the one word answer, Jesus. Mm. I mean, Jesus' own claim is I am the truth. Uh, that's You can find that in John 14, verse 6. So Jesus claims to be the ultimate revelation of what and who truth is in this world. And not that any of us know full truth of all things, by going to the teachings of Jesus, because he didn't reveal all things, but fundamentally he poises himself forward as truth. Yeah, and something that, mm. that I think in different conversations I've had, it's like, you know, sometimes the, the Christian answer or the typical church answer is like, well, we don't know because we're not God. Like, if we had all of the answers to everything and understood everything, that would make us God. And we're just not going to be there ever. But I still get frustrated with the answer of like, oh, well, we just don't know because we're not God. You're like, what? Come on. And, and, and it's the second <laughs> part of that, because we're not God, that frustrates me too. Because there's certainly plenty of things we don't know. But let's not use that as an excuse. I mean, can you imagine study. if a scientist said, well, we don't know because we're not God. So we're just going to kind of give up on the field altogether. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, it's like. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like a placating answer almost. You're like, this, that's not an answer. Yeah. That's just say just I don't know. Yeah. I, that's a great question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But let's let's seek it out. And, and maybe we never even find the answer by our seeking it out. But maybe other people build off our work and they find it out. Or maybe it leads us to other areas of exploration that we would never even think of if we didn't go down the path, which brings its own fruit in its own right. Yeah, I think that could be something interesting to talk <clears throat> with Dr. Das, das yeah, next yeah. week of okay you you do this deep dive into paul and galatians and all these things like how uh, not how but are you claim i guess claiming that like you're the authoritative source on this or is it like well this is the best like research and stuff that i've come up with and based on you know all these different historical facts and biblical things and other things like this is the proof of my work could it be wrong? Could it change at some point? You know, what I love... someone learns something new. Yeah, what I love about people who do cutting-edge research, and this is true across all fields that I've seen, theology included, but also science and literature and philosophy and things like that, is they know far more about all the arguments at play, about all the evidence that's out there than basically anyone. Mm -hmm. And they often come across with far less what I would call totalitarian certainty that is often repeated at jargon and cliche levels among people who stand on their shoulders and on their work. Don't actually know what they're talking about. So like one of the things I'm going to uh, press with Dr. Das next week is, you know, the end of Galatians chapter two, he'll write openly in his commentary, literally every single sentence of this section of the Bible is debated above all things and in all ways. But what he does is he goes through and he outlines the arguments these are all the positions and arguments made and the reasons pro and con for those arguments. Mm. And out of that, he's equipped to draw stronger conclusions than maybe someone who is more unfamiliar mm. with the argumentations out there is, but he'll step forward in the position of going, I think option two, five and seven are best for this reason. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of research happens yeah, and to do. Rather than only if he only talked about, you know, version two, five, and six or whatever, and didn't even mention the other things, then it's like, okay, that, that seems to weaken your position because you're like, well, I'm only going to tell you the things that I agree with. And you're like, okay, that doesn't really help. Because but, but that is the natural trickle-down effect both oh, yeah. in, in church, um, in politics, mm -hmm. in, in every kind of field because people often don't have the patience to 
go through the research or read it. I mean, none of us really do, except maybe in a a certain area of passion or when something strikes. I mean, take COVID, for example, who the hell, who the the hell cared about viruses, you know, two years ago, except for virologists and and doctors, but now everyone's a a self-proclaimed virus expert, you know, with authoritative positions on whether vaccines may or may not work with whether masks work or not. Because they're just jumping on a piece of research that often backs up what they want to hear or what what seems convincing. Um, And we all have to kind of live this way at some degree because none of us can absorb all human knowledge. But, you know, you talk to the people who are actually in the field. And if they're not doing what I would call trickle-down teaching, meaning political platform, meaning popular advice, meaning what the CDC is going to put on, you know, the webpage for popular consumption, you know, people just want to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And the same is true in church. So what do preachers do? What do teachers do? What do politicians do? What do scientists who write for a lay group as opposed to, you know, the scientific community do? They kind of cut through the bull with what they actually believe is true, you know, putting the best construction on it. In most Mm -hmm. cases, they are actually propagating what they think is true and trying to avoid confusion, which is fine when the stakes are low for you. But when you're in the thick of something and actually want to know, that's when it all falls to pieces. And hence why you got to do research. Which is why I think for this Easter, you have your your sermon. Here's your sermon. And this will will frustrate... (laughs) <laughs> question, but it also shortened things way up too. <laughs> and you just come in there, you get on the stage and you just say one word, Jesus. All right. Have a good day, everyone. Happy Easter. <laughs> and then let them wrestle with like, he, all he said was Jesus. <laughs> well, that's me, all it is. Google that. Do some research. Yeah. There what is, a, yeah. what oh. emphasis is he putting on there? Right. Is it Jesus or Jesus? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> God. <laughs> There was a prof um, at at one of the seminaries I went to at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. His name was James Velt and highly respected uh, uh, in the field, not just in our own institution. W or a V? A V. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. You wanted the full German on that? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he was always notorious for this. Like, you know, we would do like chapel every day and there would be different faculty or students that would give like the homilies message or something like that. And he was what was called a hermeneutics specialist, which was all about the art and science of interpreting a text. So he was the language guy. He was the Greek expert. He was the guy who was deep into the field of of not only New Testament studies, but language and and the construction of the actual text and interpretation of text itself. And he was notorious for doing this. He would get up, he would read some passage, kind of typical in any kind of format, and then you're expecting a sermon to come off it, right? You just go, well... Can't say it better than that. <laughs> and then you go and yeah. sit back down. <laughs> uh, just like, yep, it is what it is. That's what it <laughs> right, says. Right. That's all I'm going to say in a different way. So we yeah. might as well just go with what they <laughs> go say. Go with that. I like that a lot. That would that would shorten services mm, a little it'd bit. Be great. Yeah, it would. It would. <laughs> yeah. Not um, great that I don't enjoy your sermons, because I do. But great in the sense that I would just like to see the reaction. And we're kind of all about throwing people off this right. <laughs> this right. Lent season. Right. So let's go for it. Um, we talked at the very beginning of this about Chris and how we kind of fear her a little bit. There's that, there's that sense of fear because there's just an, a, a power and authority there. And we have a question uh, about fear of God here. So look at how <laughs> I, I look at how I made that correct. <laughs> yeah, wow. like that, was, there. that was masterful, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to, in air quotes, fear God? Hmm. If I believe Jesus saved me, do I have anything to truly fear? I know I am afraid of letting God down and I'm afraid of not having genuine faith, but I'm not sure I fear God because I believe he's faithful to his promises and that he loves us. Is it wrong that I'm not scared of God? Can you elaborate on fear? Yeah. Thank you for asking this great question. And, and I think you're hitting on um, the need to go deeper than just simple cliches or just simple aphorisms and statements mm-hmm. because fear is a very broad-based word. And, and simultaneously, Um, To be afraid of God is as natural as can be and even healthy and good. And to not be afraid of God is, 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 is the right thing as well, precisely because of what you said, because in Jesus, we have nothing to fear from God. 
the Bible will talk often about fear of God. And, and I'll simply give like a, a, an analogy. You guys ever been like Yellowstone or, you know, out West where they got mm. what I would call like wildlife, American wildlife preserve things going on. God's country. God's country. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I remember even in St. Louis, they had this, they had this, uh, this like Bush, it wasn't Bush gardens, oh, but the botanical it, gardens. No, no, no. But it was these buffaloes is out on highway 44. Oh, yeah, you get yeah, out yeah. West and like the Buffalo would rain like free range and they could walk up to your car. They never did because it was hot and they just wanted to lay in the shade, but they could. But like, I remember when we were driving through Yellowstone and like the bison will come right up to your car, which at one level, it's like, how cool is this? Right. And another hand, you see this like 2000 pound, maybe 3000 pound animal. I don't know what they weigh. 15,000 pound animal. That's a big Buffalo. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 15,000 pounds. 28,000 pound Buffalo. You got this 2000 pound animal walking up to your car and you're realizing this is a powerful beast. You know, this, this, this thing can mess up our car pretty bad. If he, if he got angry or torqued, I mean, our windows are gone. Our body work is out. I mean, the car is totaled, yeah. right? I'm not really afraid of being killed, but if I stepped out of it, you know, if this thing wanted to turn on me, any of us who have come face to face with a bigger wildlife creature, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever like stumble on like, a mountain lion or a bear when you're out in the woods. Standard, is, standard bear usually. Is it right to fear something that's powerful? Absolutely. And God is the most powerful being in existence. Is it right to come up next to like rushing water and fear the water like rapids the or ocean. a waterfall or the ocean mm -hmm. or the power of the waves when they're really swelling? Because is it right to be afraid of that? Absolutely. Because when you stand in the presence of something more powerful than you, it is only right, natural, and healthy to stand in fear and awe of something that can utterly obliterate you. So yes, it is right to fear God. And yet the good news of Jesus is we have nothing to fear from God because God is fundamentally good, not random. God is wild, I would say, dangerous, to quote C.S. Lewis, I would say, but because he is good and because of what Christ has done for us, we don't have to fear him being capricious with us, random with us, um, out to get us, or in judgment from him. And so that, that's about the best I can do in this length of time to elaborate on fear. It's what you mean by it that really matters when you talk about fear in relation to him. Yeah, I almost think about it as like a, a healthy respect for, for that amount of power. Um, I think that comes across in you know, hunting and all these other things. It's like, you're respecting like ocean, like what you said, you're yeah. shooting. You're respecting the power of the ocean or the power of weather and natural weather. And because it's like, well, if I don't, I'm not going to be safe. <laughs> yeah. Like, what it can do and what it can do to me. Mm -hmm. And speaking of hunting, I just, my uh, family was in town and they introduced me to a show called meat eater. Mm, that's good. On Netflix. It's a good show. It's a hunting, mm -hmm. hunting show. They cover yeah. all types of stuff. Yeah recommend yeah. all right gets, gets all right five stars <laughs> it's a great show it's just a healthy respect for for nature and god's yep. creation yep. and man, what he gives to us well i think fear you look at sodom and gomorrah well if you're not fearful after seeing what god did there it's like <laughs> okay or flood even or flood or just even the power that he has to create you know you think of the words that came out of his mouth and just that power as well. Like, wow, this is pretty. And it is amazing that when people would see Jesus do some of these great miracles, including his closest followers, like stilling storms, for example, mm. the result was often fear Yeah, because you're realizing the absolute power of the one that you're in the presence of that you often neglect downplay or take for granted. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like we're a, uh, we're hitting the one minute mark. Yeah. We're going to wrap up shop here today. We want to thank you for tuning in. Again, this is questions you never thought you could ask in church. And we broadcast this live every Wednesday afternoon, 1230 p.m. to 130 p.m. Central Time. If you've missed past episodes, join us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Hop on the FOF Plus page and you will find past recordings there or go to Spotify or Apple or whatever your favorite podcast provider is, do a quick search on questions you never thought you could ask in church. It'll pop right up and you can listen to, to past episodes. If we did not get to your question today, don't fear. It is in our inbox. I know we've got quite a, uh, um, a litany of them. 
um, that we'll get to in time. You can text those questions at any time to 815-314-0363. We will get to them. We value your questions. We want to talk to you and speak to you and maybe help you along the questions that you are asking. One more time, next week, we've got Dr. Andrew Das on the show talking about all things Paul in the Bible, in the New Testament. So bring your questions that you have for that arena. Should be good. And uh, I think we're tuning out. Steve, Andrew, see you next week. Everyone, God bless. Oh,